This is Tom Fox. Welcome to the newest edition in the Compliance Podcast Network. My latest podcast, Compliance and Coronavirus. As the voice of compliance, I wanted to start a podcast which will help bring both clarity and sanity to the field of compliance, the compliance practitioner, and indeed the compliance profession during this worldwide health and healthcare crisis. Taking up a variety of topics as diverse as working from home to sporting events, to the role of the board of directors, to crisis management, to the role of supply chains. We will look at all of these in this podcast. If you have a topic you'd like covered on compliance and coronavirus, please let me know. I'd be happy to do a podcast on it. In this episode, I have with me Dan Goodwin. Dan founded CYA Consulting, which is perhaps the greatest name for a consulting firm. He's a former in-house corporate investigator, and he teaches folks to think like an investigator. I found this incredibly important for the compliance practitioner, and I think you'll learn a lot about moving your compliance program forward from Dan Goodwin. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode, and today I have with me Dan Goodwin. Dan is with CYA Consulting, which probably is the greatest name for a consulting company I've ever heard. Uh, We met um, both members of C-Suite Radio, and um, he's got some really interesting not only professional background, but uh, ideas about how you can, I think, move your compliance program forward in a way that, frankly, I had not heard before. So, Dan, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, first of all, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Well, Tom, thank you so much for inviting me to be on your show. Uh, I, I Before I met you, I never knew there was a compliance podcast, so this this is this is in our sweet spot together. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your professional background and then maybe what you're up to today? Awesome. Well, uh, I worked, uh, my background is is investigations, internal investigations. And I worked for a Fortune 100 company uh, for 19 years and 17 of those was directly involved in investigations. And uh, what I did, Tom, was work or uh, issues on behalf of the company to get to the bottom of them for like fraud, theft, embezzlement, sexual harassment. I did some executive protection. I had a top secret clearance and I worked on FISA orders and installed covert cameras in the middle of the night. Uh, And it was about 5% James Bond and 95% uh, (laughs) compliance and paperwork and documentation. Uh, But what I got paid to do was to go out and figure out when things went sideways with with employees. And I was able to use that skill when I left uh, Sprint uh, 13 years ago. I was able to like parlay that to help small business owners and medium businesses uh, that may not have had their own dedicated security group, investigations group, or sometimes even an HR group. I was able to use that to help them as they worked through some of those same employee type issues. And you uh, now, uh, as I understand it, not only do dabble in that a little bit, but you really help companies think through these issues. And what intrigued me was you had a great phrase that you use, which is think like an investigator. I was wondering if you could explain that and, and see how we might be able to explore that to where I think the exciting part is to make a compliance practitioner, a business executive or senior manager actually better at their job. I'd be glad to. So Think Like an Investigator came out of a couple of conversations that helped me crystallize 
uh, what I call my secret sauce, my signature, my signature gift. Uh, how can I impact and help people down this interesting times we find ourselves in? And think like an investigator really result, revolves around two skills that need to be taught in school, and that is critical thinking and intuitive decision making. And what I found was people aren't doing either. For the most part, they're responding emotionally and making some snap judgments and jumping to conclusions before they have all the facts. And so I, I was able to actually outline and systematize this to give people a construct from which they could run and figure out exactly what the next steps were. So I have, I have a red, I have a stop, look and listen model. It's red, yellow, green. And, and the stop is basically to remind everybody to take a breath and ask some questions, gather, gather the facts. And I have a, I have a saying that the facts don't care about your feelings. You've, you've got to go back in and actually find what the hard empirical evidence is, the facts before you even move on to trying to figure out the, the look, which is the background motivations and uh, systems and a reviewing of systems. And then when you get to the green, when you get to the listen, uh, is when you would actually engage with people and start asking some uh, thought-provoking pattern interrupt type questions in order to discover additional facts that you may not be aware of at the time. So I was really intrigued with a couple of things you said there. The first was uh, 5% James Bond and uh, 95% paperwork. Uh, and uh, But that to me meant the paperwork uh, was even more critical. You had to get a handle on the documents and not just uh, uh, secure the documents. You had to know the documents better than anyone else. And you had to know what was in each document. You know, had to know how they related to each other. You had to know if somebody uh, said something to you that was inconsistent with a document. You could not only say that's not consistent, but you could actually pull out the document and hopefully have it highlighted already. So I really appreciated that that part of your approach. But the second part was to to do the research to get ready. It's not sitting across the table, Perry Mason-like, uh, wilting a witness. It is a systematic process to prepare yourself with the facts and uh, unemotionally. And I um, am a recovering trial lawyer, and in part of my career, I defended corporations. And, and on the Texas Gulf Coast, that meant a lot of plant accidents. And in every accident, there was always a post-accident investigation or what we would call a root cause analysis. And they were always done by the plant guys. It was a, uh, a company guy. It was a union guy. And they were taught report facts, report facts, report facts. And, and if they reported a fact, you could take it to the bank that was the fact because they did so unemotionally because their interest was making sure nobody else got hurt down the road. And it seems to me that you really distilled a lot of different things I've heard with your process. Would that be a fair uh, sort of assessment? Yeah. Yes, it would, uh, Tom. So, uh, you know, I had one of the employment attorneys that I partnered up with on probably 80% of my investigations uh, she was in charge. Uh, everything we did 
was routed back through an attorney for on behalf of the company. Uh, she made a comment. She she since left in the last uh, thirty days. She did not uh, make the the change over to T Mobile. And I talked to her, and I you know I asked her. I, I said, "It's we have so much between us that we can offer to small and mid sized businesses based on our experience." that we should take the show on the road. We should do some training. And we started talking about our experiences together and how we ran investigations. And, and to your point of this, the, you know, having a system, she complimented me and said, Dan, the one thing I could always count on with your investigations is you took the time to figure out how we got to that point, what systems had loopholes, what systems were broken, or was it uh, was it intentional? Was it malice on part of the employee? Or do we really can we prevent this from happening again? So much to your point of of the the oil field analogy, safety issues, and, and obviously nobody's going to get blown up by exploding pipe in, in in a data center, hopefully. But to your point, it's to go back and repair and prevent uh, future events. So that that piece of it, uh, I think, is important. It's not just to get the facts and let them lie there. It's to uh, that root cause analysis. We always called it an after action report because some of my bosses were ex-military <laughs> so, or ex-PD. They would always call it after action reports. But we would always go back and revisit that to make sure that we weren't going to be investigating the same thing 60, 90, 120 days from now. So I really wanted to ask you about perhaps the difference in an investigation into a violation, a legal breach, or or something else where some policy rule or regulation may have been violated, and, and contrasting that with a root cause analy- analysis, because the Department of Justice tells us not only are they very different, uh, exercises, but a company must do both, and they must do both well. And you pointed out um, the after-action report, uh, the root cause analysis, um, is designed to prevent something like that from happening again, whether it was a system, whether it was a control override, system failure, control override, or or individual action. Um, I think it's equally important that your investigation have that same investigation of an individual had that same rigor for just basic institutional fairness. Was that a part of your remit when you were doing that on a regular basis? Yeah, I had, and they gave me the nickname in the employee H in the employment law group. They would, they called me Spider-Man because I always, I always seem to, to uncover more and more issues uh, that actually were contributing factors into investigations. So someone that, uh, for instance, uh, was there was a complaint of favoritism or there was a complaint of an inappropriate relationship between a boss and a reportee. When we looked at the whole person, when we started pulling data, we had a standard data set that we would pull down. And one of those was expense reports. When somebody had uh, had been uh, identified as uh, you know a, um, a subject of an investigation, 
the expense reports were always pulled to make sure we didn't have a pattern of behavior that was concerning to management. That's, I guess that's the nicest way to say it right there. And what we found out in this, this particular case that I'm thinking of is that in that relationship between a boss and his executive assistant, when we brought that executive assistant in, she was not the one complaining. In fact, she was she was using it as a, as a as a career boost, I believe. Uh, but what we found out is, in the course of the investigation and the interviews, by looking at those expense reports before we walked out the door, we already knew there were questionable expenses where they had both been on trips, where some uh, company dollars had been spent where they shouldn't have been. And it, it it becomes a point of leverage. It becomes a point of conversation uh, that uncovers more. So hence the name Spider-Man, because all my investigations <laughs> seem to spider web into, uh, into, into other things. But that's what a good investigator needs to do. He needs to. Uh, it's not just in the military marching to the edge of the field and marching back. It is looking across the boundary line and say, are there any other contributing factors that led us to this present moment? Dan, we're recording this episode in late October 2020. Um, Are any of the techniques or strategies you previously were able to use when you could sit across the table from someone uh, and actually interview them in person, have they changed or would you recommend a change in the era of COVID-19 and Zoom calls and uh, working remotely. Yeah. See, yeah. I, and I'm a very, um, tactile guy. I like to be in same space and, uh, my, my, my adjustment to that is in the era of zoom or Skype or whatever tool you want to use. Um, I, I insist on video when I have a, what I call a get to know you call, it's it's on Zoom, and if people say I just want to make a phone call, then we're probably not a fit to work together. the The rule is this, Tom: seven thirty eight fifty five. Our communication is seven percent the words we say, thirty eight percent the tone, and fifty five percent the nonverbal cues, the body language. So I was trained uh, by the same uh, company. Uh, called the Albert Reed School of Interrogation and Interviews, uh, and I was—that's the same agency that the the same company that the feds and the states and the counties and the locals go to when they be get ready to be uh, a detective or a special agent. So that framework it is built upon benchmark questions, and benchmark questions are non-threatening almost automatic answers. So I can ask you uh, your name, your date of birth, current address, current position, current manager. There's 14 of these questions. And by the time I get to the fifth or sixth, I know what an automatic truthful response looks like from Tom. So that when we get into the stress-inducing questions of a subject interview, that way... I can gauge truthfulness or deceptiveness either way. That was part of my training. Plus, the intuitive decision-making part and the ability 
the money is made in investigations when you can take disparate facts, disparate pieces of information, and connect the dots between them. You mentioned a while ago, uh, you mentioned taking, uh, maybe reviewing all the documents and actually knowing the documents better than the person that we're interviewing. That's that's part of it, uh, but part of it is also being able to gauge, read the situation, and knowing when to press and knowing when to let off the gas just a little bit in, in how you're presenting, how, uh, if it's time to be aggressive, what kind of personality does this person have? That That plays a huge part in it. Be a chameleon, match and mirror their their style, their answers. Uh, anyway, I think I think you've got me rambling now, Tom. <laughs> the other thing that uh, intrigued me when we initially met was the process you laid out. Really struck me as a way for a compliance pra- practitioner, a general counsel type, a business executive, to help think through a problem. And you you mentioned marshal the facts. Uh, the facts are going to be unemotional. Well, marshal those facts. Uh, perhaps share those facts with a colleague and then use those facts to help guide your next steps. Would that also be a fair assessment? Absolutely. Uh, you've, you've got to see where the facts are leading you. Uh, and again, 90% of the work on an investigation when I was uh, active at Sprint was done before I ever left the cube, before I ever left the cube farm on the campus and got on a plane or got in a car to go visit with somebody. And that 10% variable, it really goes back to motivation and it goes back to the how and the why. Uh, Pretty much we, we pretty much most of the time we knew the how we're just trying to figure out the why. So, when we get with people and we start uh, peeling away the you know the layers of the onion, as they say, it it was it a uh, did they were they pressured to do whatever act we're we're looking at? Were they was it a bad decision? Did they use bad judgment? Did they not know those those sort of things? Uh, you know, what's going on at home? Did that impact anything? And and it, that's a very fine line when you start talking about people's personal lives. But if there were contributing factors that caused them to take this action, then the management team needed to know that. One of the one of the things I was able to the one of the luxuries I had, Tom, is I did not hire and I did not fire. I was simply there just like Joe Friday, right on Dragnet, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. But it went a little deeper than that because it was just the motivation, just the motivation. And was so, so that, that all played into it. And, uh, that, that whole piece of it, I think every mid level manager, every business owner needs to have a way to ask intelligent, and appropriate and they have a good reach and have good timing. And some of that comes with practice, but a lot of that comes with emotional intelligence and leadership skills also. The second part of the phrase that I learned from the Petro plant uh, guys in their uh, post-accident reports was, number one, report facts. Number two, do not assess blame. And that's actually what made that report so powerful literally in front of a jury, 
because every plant guy would say, I did not assess blame and I'm not going to assess blame. That's for others. Uh, it may be the jury, it may be a lawyer, you know, it may be HR. And when you can have that kind of just the facts, that, that becomes an incredibly powerful document uh, moving forward. The, um, so I, I greatly appreciate the, the just the facts. And, and for those too old or not old enough to understand the cultural reference, uh, <laughs> go watch some Dragnet. Um, let me change the focus a little bit because sure. you have one of the great phrases I have heard during the coronavirus health crisis. It was so great that I have purloined it uh, since we uh, initially visited, and I've actually used it several times. And that is that uh, you have said COVID-19 has sped up changes by three to five years. Literally in six months, we've moved forward in a time, in a compressed time frame uh, that I suppose has happened before in our lifetimes, but not recently. Um, and I wondered if we just might explore that. Why, uh, how, maybe how, uh, what examples have you seen? And then why do you think that's happened? Oh my goodness! It, yeah, what what a change the last seven months have brought. Uh, so the key word there is disruption. I, I mean, the whole of business has been disruption. Now, it is a factor at different levels. So for you and for me, somebody that has worked from home, I've used Zoom as a tool for five years for all my coaching and consulting. I was, you know, early adopter, but the disruption is trickling not only in the technology piece of this, Tom, but it also is um, working towards the the dismantling of bureaucracy. And when I say that, uh, people look at me sideways, and, I, and I'm convinced that three, five, seven, ten years from now, the way we do commerce, the way we do business – will be different than how we have done it today and before today. The corporations, the giant corporations um, that forced everybody into, you know, the 10-story building, uh, that those days uh, are, are gone. We have, we have basically distributed everything to our home computers, that that's that's what we've done. That's why every morning I get up, I pray for a high speed connection that still works. That's 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 our daily prayer now, right? Um, so my my wife's an educator. I, I've seen this this from spring break through the end of the last school year to help her learn how to teach primary children K through six via Zoom via video instruction. And to see the educational system take a huge hit, it's not just, it's just not me, the investigations, the consulting, the corporations. It, this, this is, has far reaching impact and the, the unintended consequences of lockdowns, the mental health. I, I watch my grandkids. Uh, all of these things are rolling factors that we're all, I don't care what age you're at, we're all working to, uh, you know, find our sea legs and stay, stay level. So the, um, I was wondering if, uh, in your area of specialty and any of the training you're putting on, are you getting sort of any consistent series of questions from your clients, uh, perhaps other than the one I posed to you, how do you do an interview over zoom and make it meaningful? Are, are you getting some, some questions about, uh, really what to do at this point? As, uh, as I said, during the coronavirus crisis? 
Yeah. So the the first question I get is, when does this get back to normal? When does this revert? And so uh, I I I I laugh. I find I find humor kind of lightens the load, and I, I I'm trying to uh, laugh instead of cry with some of my clients. But I have I said I have. I have good news and bad news. It's never going back to the way it was, just for the reasons we just discussed. It's never going back. So after we get through dealing with the five stages of grief and we stop screaming and yelling and crying about it, uh, to take a breath and say, all right, so how can I pivot? You know, that's the buzzword today. How can I pivot? What? How can I embrace the change and move forward. So that's, that's really what the question should be. It's, it's not how to, how, how, when will this revert? And the answer is never. It's how can I pivot? And that when I'm working with my clients now, that is the, that, that is where the money's made. That is where you, you've seen, you've seen the businesses, you know, shutting down, shuttering up. And you've seen, I know, more entrepreneurs that have made more strides in their business, more income in the last six months than they have in the last two to three years. So, Dan, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted any more information on you or really any of the topics we've talked about today. Where could they go? The the best way is just to go to ourconnectedlives.com ourconnectedlives.com all spelled out all smashed together and uh that will that will get them uh to a web page or uh, a linkedin profile that that's the best way to reach out to me i spend 90 percent of my business activities are communicating through linkedin well dan this has been a fascinating interview i uh, really appreciate you taking the time to visit with me and i look forward to continuing the conversation all right tom thanks so much for having me i've really enjoyed it Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance and Coronavirus. This is the only B2B podcast which brings clear and sane information for both the compliance professional and the business executive. If I could ask you uh, to do one thing, if you could tell one person about this podcast, I'm trying to get the word out uh, about this most unique podcast in the compliance podcast network so if you could tell one person about it send them a copy send them a link do something uh, to help me publicize this podcast i would greatly appreciate it compliance and coronavirus is a production of the compliance podcast network and it appears tuesday wednesday and thursday of each week thanks again for listening and i hope you'll join me again for another episode This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.